16 tonight is we're going to look at a parable that's in verses 1 through 8 and continue on through verse 18. Um, this parable is really on stewardship, and I always think of Psalm 24, verse 1, that tells us the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Well, that's quite inclusive. When you're talking about the earth, the whole world, all of us who live in it belong to the Lord. We get the idea that this is mine, that I own it, it belongs to me. But the truth of the matter is, it's on loan from God. The truth of the matter is, we have it for a time, and it's a lot shorter time than we think, or that we believe. And the parable we look at tonight is it talks about stewardship, reminds us of the fact that we need to give careful attention to the gifts that God has given to our care and how they're used for him. So with that in mind, uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 16. And we're going to go through verse 18, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, the parable as our reading. So I ask you to stand in God's honor. Luke 16. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you, God. As we're reminded of our Lord, thank you for this parable and uh, the wisdom in your word. I pray, Father, you just speak to our hearts as we look at it. In your name we pray. Amen. This is a parable of a dishonest employee who cooked the books, who found a way to finagle his way out of trouble, out of the deep pit he had found himself in, and he acted shrewdly. It made me think, and it, I try not to worry about this too much, guys, or it would probably just worry me to death, and that's our national debt. Matter of fact, I looked up on the Internet, I thought, well, you know, at what rate are we continuing our debt and um, what I saw was the national debt increases an average of $2.28 billion a day. Well, listen to this. That's $86,400 a second we go into debt. I mean, those numbers are mind-boggling. And, you know. I look at that money and, and those people who have it and they're stewards of it. It's not their money. It's not the money of the politicians who are there. They're to be servants 
of our nations and the money should be used wisely. But there's no doubt about it that um, politicians learn to be quite shrewd as we think of this shrewd worker. Jesus told 38 parables, 19 of them dealt with stewardship, dealt with money. So when you're talking about almost half of his parables dealing with money, finances matter to our God. What we do with what he gives to us, uh, what what he allows us to have uh, for a time, it matters to God. I mean, baptism's important, but yet he talks about stewardship 16 times more than he does baptism. Obviously, the Lord's Supper is important, but there are 32 times more biblical statements about Christian stewardship than there is about the Lord's Supper. So, Jesus had a lot to say about being good stewards, about being able to trust God with what he bestows upon us for that time. And, and to begin with, uh, in these verse, first eight verses, as we read about this shrewd manager, uh, he obviously dealt in a way that was dishonest. It was in a way to protect himself. And I'm certainly not, <laughs> I'm certainly not saying that that is how we should handle things, that we should... Uh, try to cheat people or take advantage of people. But actually, it's in verse 8 that there is the truth of this that I want to apply here. He says, The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And the point is simply... To be a believer does not mean that we have to be timid or that we have to be taken advantage of or meek. Or, you know, for years I have felt so um, simple-minded at times. Guys have taken advantage of me. And then I figured out something. And that was if you want to be honest, you want to believe other people are honest. But after a few times, I realized not everybody's honest. You know, I need to think a little bit about what I'm doing. Be a little shrewder instead of just buying into the story. Matter of fact, this is really a terrible thing to admit. But I almost hate it when I'm dealing with somebody in business and they start talking a lot about the Lord. Because I have antennas go up that said, uh-oh, he's trying to con me. And what's really sad about that is more often than not, it's been the case. I had a guy, we had bought a car for uh, uh, for Lydia, helped her find a car. And, uh, oh, man, he lied through his teeth about a couple of things. And what was so bad about it was he kept using, you know, talking about his face. And I thought, oh, and sure enough, and something inside of me says, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Well, I did it. But the thing about it was she's, that car's still going. So once it was fixed, it was okay. God took care of it all. But... But the issue, like I said, uh, he notices two kinds of people here. Notice in this verse, he says there's the people of this world. They're the people who um, don't know God, who don't walk with God. And then he describes the people of the light. Obviously, we're called to a different standard because we're not only taking care of ourselves, but we're called to honor God and to glorify God with our very lives and that certainly matters to the Lord. And so there needs to be a 
you know, a sense of we think through what we do. To be his people, to be people of light, doesn't mean not to use your brain. This idea that to be a Christian, somehow you're supposed to cut your brain off, that people have, is not true at all. And I thought that was interesting. You know, we had this debate here the other night. And when you look at where science actually started, it all started on the very basis that there was a creator who made things in an organized manner so that you could observe something and it was consistent and you were able to see it over and over again and thus you're able to form a truth from seeing that, like the law of gravity. You know, you may not believe in the law of gravity, but if you jump off a 12-story building, you'll go splat, whether you believe it or not. So there are these ideas of laws that could be trusted and there must be a mastermind behind all of that. That's where science actually came from. Now that we live in a culture that wants to take God out of everything, there are all these theories with the idea, well, it just happened. You know, like Robert Co- uh, Robert Coffee, Richard Coffee, say all the time, you know, from goo to the zoo to you. And that's just, you know, that's so sad when people leave God out and, and, and miss all of that. But, but we're called to use our minds. Uh, listen, this is Proverbs fourteen fifteen. This says, the simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. God wants us to sit down and think about our decisions. He wants us to do a little homework. It's not an excuse to say, well, God will get me through it. He says, pray about this. Study it. Don't just, don't, don't just make a blind decision. And I think he wants us to learn from that. Not to be gullible. As I said, I've been guilty of certainly in the past. Maybe you have heard of other uh, rumor that's gone around for years of Madeline Murray O'Hare, who put a bill before Congress trying to outlaw Christian broadcasting. Well, that is just a rumor. It's not true. But through the years... People have sent letters to Congress and, and all this that's based on a rumor. We just didn't look it up. Heard it somewhere. I, I saw it going across the Internet a couple of years ago. Follow this rumor without checking out the source of it. We need to, before we get on a big kick about anything, we need to check it out. Go to Snopes.com or UrbanLegend.com or somewhere and say, is this really true? Um, because a lot of times it's not. A lot of times it's a rumor that doesn't have truth to it. Um, I remember a couple years ago I did that. I had sent out something. It talked about Captain Kangaroo was a war hero. I, I remember Jeff Nestor said, wow, is that true? I looked up and said, no, I'm sorry, Jeff, it's not. I should have sent that to you. Somebody had, had sent that out. Um, in Matthew 16.10, Jesus said, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. So what is the real point behind this? Well, what can we learn from? Here's the real point. He knew he was facing a deadline, and so he formulated a plan to act before his opportunity was gone. And the bottom line is, we only have so much time. And God wants us to be wise. It says in Ephesians 5, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We need to make use of the time that he's given us as well as the possessions that he gives us. We need to think through, you know, is this really worthwhile? Am I using my time wisely? Is this going to really make a difference? Psalm 90 verse 12 um, talks about to teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And and to use those opportunities, 
properly, to be, to be wise enough to ask God to lead us. And, and, and then he moves on from this parable, and he gives us some lessons in stewardship. Uh, verse 9, he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So the point here is just simply that um, money is to be used for what lasts for eternity. And quite honestly, that boils down to people. That boils down to relationships. That boils down to passing a message of love that lasts forever. And not just stuff that we collect and sits on a shelf or sits in a building or sits in a shed. And, you know, money in and of itself is not evil or not bad. It's how it's used. You know, some people said the love, uh, some people said that money is the root of all kinds of evil, but it's the love of money. It's the greed. It's the idea of seeking the money rather than the money being used for a purpose. Uh, Some of the Christians that have been such a blessing to me were people God had blessed with money. And they were willing to let go of it and to touch some people's lives. I knew one friend of mine. He didn't really have all that much money, but he worked for the electric company. He'd go around and he would check meters. He was a meter reader. And sometimes he'd find out about people who were in a bad situation. And and he would go back to the power company and pay their electric bill and never tell them who paid it. He just got so much joy out. And God had allowed him to put aside something. And he said, you know, I want to use this in a way that matters. 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. But those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, people that have tried so hard to pursue something that it all falls apart in the pursuit. I, I remember one time a guy visited the church where I was serving, and I went by to see him. And this guy said, well, I'm going to get to church when I can, but I've got a plan. He was like, I don't know, he was like 32. He said, I want to retire by the time I'm 45, so I'm going to work three jobs so I can put enough money aside for my wife and I to enjoy life. I thought, you're going to be dead before you reach <laughs> working yourself to death to put the money away and then you're not going to be able to enjoy it. Uh, you know, In the Wall Street Journal, of all places, uh, there was these words from, from an article. It says, Money is an article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven and as a universal provider of everything except happiness. Except happiness. Um, so uh, the best investment as we see in verse 9, is to invest in people. Find a way to invest in people. In the King James, uh, for money, it uses the word mammon, which actually signifies the ancient Canaanite god of riches. So what Jesus is saying, you know, we don't need to worship money. You don't buy your salvation, you don't buy other people's salvation, but you use your money as a, as a way to reach out to people and care about people and love people. Um, I remember a few years ago, Lydia brought home from Bluefield College, where she went to college, a couple of Chinese exchange students. 
and they were so precious. And they had, uh, their names to us, I couldn't say their Chinese names, were uh, Ruby and Daisy. And uh, they were just so sweet. As a matter of fact, one of the funniest things, we took them down here to the park and tried to teach them how to play kickball. That was such an experience because I had never tried to teach somebody who played kickball that didn't know anything at all about kickball. I tried to explain everything to them. They kicked the ball. I don't know where they ran, but it wasn't to the base. <laughs> you know, it was somewhere else. And uh, our son, Nathan, he was in the swing. And I'm not sure. He, he swung up real high, and when he went up in the air, he did a backflip and landed down. And one of those girls said, Oh, my, you like a god. <laughs> he said, No, no, no. But, but, but they were so sweet. But it struck me because they came to church here. And the people were sweet to them. And, and one of the people here had found out that there were Bible translated in their language that um, you could buy over in Elizabethan, in the warehouse, in their language. So uh, this member of Kingsway went, bought a Bible for each of them in their language, and gave it to them before they left. That's an investment that lasts. Um, and, you know, I never did figure out, they're still kind of... We're friends with them on Facebook, and you know it's illegal in China to use Facebook. I don't think they're necessarily in China right now, but they found some way around that. It's amazing how people find around in the internet. But find ways uh, to make a lasting difference, Um, because it really does matter. Next principle: your management of God's money determines if He can trust you. With true riches. Look at verses 10 through 12 here. Whoever can be trusted with very little. Can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little. Will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy. In handling worldly wealth. Who will trust you with true riches. And if you have not been trustworthy. With someone else's property. Who will give you property. Of your own. First he talks about. You know, being trustworthy with a little. And when God sees, you know, he can trust you with a little, then you get some real wealth that he will allow you to work with. Um, He meets our basic needs, and then beyond that, he gives us more because he wants us to have an eternal perspective. And, you know, I guess all of us, when we think about rich, rich is always someone who has more me. But there's so many people who have less than me. And, you know, it's crazy, but in this land, if you have money in your pocket and you drove here in a vehicle um, and you have indoor plumbing, then you're wealthier than 80% of the world. So in this country, most of us are far more blessed than we even realize. And, And notice there in verse 11, he says, If you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you? True riches. He wants to trust us with true riches. He he wants to teach us about what matters. He wants the blessings that he gives to us to go out, not just in. You know, and I found that we're most unhappy when we think about ourselves the most. I'll, I'll never forget one of the, my favorite books when I um, that I read back in seminary. Uh, guy named Oscar Thompson wrote. It's called Concentric Circles. And he talked about love is meeting needs. And he had this one illustration in there. And he talked about a stagnant pool. 
You know, when it becomes stagnant, it becomes dirty. And um, it can become uh, um, unsanitary. He said, so the water needs to be flowing. And as it flows all the time, you know, it's, it's much more likely to be clean, useful water. And so love's not meant just to flow into me. Love is meant to flow in and out of my life, to touch other people's lives. And so what he gives to us is also an opportunity to be able to bless another person. Um, And, you know, it's funny. We think about that like with tithing. And I think sometimes we think, man, 10%. And people get bogged down on the 10%. Really, though, when you look in the New Testament, it it really talks about give as God has blessed you. Um, he, he talks about in, in, this, in the scripture to, to notice the blessing of God and give in accordance with that. And, you know, I thought one day, I said, if you took my 10% that I give, whatever that is, I'm not trying to say how much it is, how well would I live on the 90% of what I gave to God? If, if, if God, you know, that was nine times that, could I buy groceries with that? Could I pay my electric bill? If I threw a dollar in an offering plate, I'd be starving to death, wouldn't I? But the point is, learn to trust God. I don't think it's just the point of a certain amount. Of course, the tithe is is through the Old Testament, and it it was a picture, you know, of a tenth that was given several places. It talks about that. And in Malachi 3.10, you know, bring my tithe into the storehouse. But really, it's not a picture just of the tithe. It's a picture of trust. It's a picture of learning to trust God for what we have and trust God through what we need. And I can't tell you how many times, seeing I was talking about this the other day, I mean, and we've all had tough times. That's nothing new. But I'm just amazed. And it's funny, every once in a while some bill will come up and I'll start to grumble about it. But then I stop and think, how many times have I thought, oh boy, ugh, how am I going to get through this? And I always have. God has always worked. Um, I probably told you guys this story, but, you know, before we came here, and we were, you know, trying to figure out where God wanted us to go next. And uh, my insurance was going to run out the week after I came here. So God cut it pretty close. (laughs) You know, he's right on time, but sometimes it's not as comfortable time as I would like. But the point is, um, we can trust God. We can trust Him. Um, too often, we don't give Him enough opportunity to do that. He wants more than our leftovers. He wants more uh, than, you know, just a, a little bit here or there. He wants us to to give as a sign of love to Him. Uh, uh, next principle, money's a great servant, but a terrible master. <laughs> Look at verse 13 here. He says, no... Servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Ray Steadman, who'd written a commentary, he said the key word in that last sentence is the word and. You cannot serve both God and money. Key word is and. Um, You serve one of the other, not both um you have a master and 
Howard Hendricks, in one of his books, talked about going into a family of a very wealthy Christian man and noticed that the man did not seem overly materialistic. And so he asked him, he said, how is it that uh, you're not caught up in materialism? And he said, my father taught us that everything in our home was either a tool or an idol. The choice was ours. What a great way to look at stuff as either a tool or an idol. Because so often, what we own owns us. And God says, you know, don't let that happen. Remember Jack Benny, the comedian, you know, he'd do all those sketches. And there was one sketch where there was a robber, you know, and he held him up. And he said, your life or your money? And, you know, you know Jack Benny is like, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. He, you know, it, 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 it's a, he'd use that, that kind of humor. And, and, and in the same way, you know, we need to stop and say, Lord, I'm thinking. <laughs> what do you want me to do, Father? What do you want me to do? Um, years ago, there was a question asked in one of the, for a research for a book, and they asked a bunch of people um, not to get names. They just wanted the information. What would you be willing to do for $10 million? And as a result of that, um, 25% said they would totally abandon their family for $10 million. 23% said they would become a prostitute for a week. 16% indicated they would leave their spouse. 3% said they would put their children up for adoption. What people will do uh, to make money or to receive money. Um, like I said, there's nothing wrong with making money or, or you know having money, but... Is it an idol or is it a tool to get back to that point? And the point is, is it something that's used to love God or is it something that we use people to receive or to get or to hoard? Um, all right, back to uh, our text, verse 14. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. And so, you know, what they wanted to do was just put on a show. And then he goes on. Uh, he says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. What matters is God's truth. What matters is eternity, not what's passing. You know, he's, you know, the Lord's just remind us, don't get that confused. Worrying so much about what people think and what people have. Worry about what lasts. And he says, you know, it's, it's, it, it, the word's going to be there. And then he, it's kind of interesting. He goes in this next part and he says, anyone who divorces his wife and Marries another woman commits adultery, and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And of course, uh, oftentimes this is used to talk about the importance of marriage and the significance of that covenant and how it's to last. And um, but if you take this just straight in context, you know, right after that's the rich man and Lazarus. We've been talking about stewardship and. I think he's talking here about the importance of stewardship also of relationships. Relationships may not last. Oftentimes relationships break. 
Oftentimes, relationships fall apart. And the question is, what have you put into the relationship? Are you a good steward in that relationship? Do you treat that relationship honorably? Are you a good husband? Are you a good wife? What is your role in that? Too often we use this to kind of, I don't know, almost to look at people who are divorced. But I think in the context of this, being a good steward, we need to ask ourselves in our relationships, you know, am I good in that relationship? Am I a good steward? Maybe it's a a brother-sister relationship, parent-child relationship, not just marriage relationships, but all relationships, I think comes back to that stewardship. Are you a good steward in that relationship? Because I think it matters. And you know, in that day with the Pharisees, as Jesus looked out among those Pharisees, uh, what would have come to their mind was in Deuteronomy 24.1. Well, matter of fact, let's, let's turn there and look at that. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. And anyway, it it goes on here um, to talk about these laws. But he talks about the fact of a certificate of um, divorce that comes about because he's found something displeasing, something indecent. And the Pharisees came, man, they, they really took this and ran with it. You know, it got to the point where, well, if she burned supper, that was indecent. I got to get rid of her. Or, it, you know, or it may be something like, well, he talked about, she, ta- he, she talked about my mom. I'm going to get rid of her. And so it became something, you know, just to, you know, write down the offenses and to keep those offenses. And, and, and then, you know, as you look at that and said, well, that makes her indecent. I'm going to get rid of it. Matter of fact, there was one way about it. Went as far as said, well, if you could find a woman that was prettier than your wife, you can divorce her and you can marry that woman. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. Being an, an improper type of steward in a marriage uh, because it's meant to last. It's not meant to be treated as trivial. Treated as something you can just throw away. Well, running back here in Luke 16, back to verse 8 again. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And then verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So we need to think... And we need to take what God gives us and use it as a tool, not as an idol for the kingdom of God. To love people and to influence people for the sake of Jesus Christ. Because the fact of the matter is, you know, the old saying says, you don't see a a hearse pulling a U-Haul. And, you know, you can be a millionaire, but when you die, you don't take it with you. I know they would put it in these pyramids and in these tombs, but it didn't pass over to the next life. Um, You might not be able to take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And that's what Jesus talks about, is find ways to impact people with God's love. Find ways to use what he's made you a steward of, that it makes a difference in other people, 
so that they know that God cares about them and that God loves them and that God is at work in their lives. That's the point um, when we give to God. I close up. Remember the song by Ray Bolts a few years back called Thank You? I, you know, great song. Starts out having a dream of being in heaven. And as he's standing there, here's someone calls your name, walks up to you and says, Friend, you may not know me, but wait, you used to teach my Sunday school class when I was only eight. Every week you'd say a prayer before the class would start. One day, when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart. Then he goes on the next verse. Then another man stood before you. He said, remember the time a missionary came to church? His pictures made you cry. You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm in heaven today. Thank you for giving to the Lord, for I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. So what do we do with what we're stewards of? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. You have blessed us so much, Lord. And uh, sometimes it's just so easy to think about ourselves and not think about you. God, and to ask the question, what can I do that is going to last? So often things we purchase, I don't know, they lose their joy and almost immediately but when we invest in people lord that that lasts and so father just speak to my heart and speak to the heart of the rest of us lord show us good investments to make show us how we've been blessed and how we can pass blessing along show us father so that we might be able to offer a sacrifice that makes you smile makes you happy lord and thank you uh, father that you give us that chance lord thank you for the little we have and father may you be able to trust us with more thank you for each one here god i thank you for this church family who i've come to know as a generous people god, help us continue to grow together lord that we might learn to give looking at you as the ultimate giver and follow you god in christ's name we pray amen Let's all stand.